0: we just humbly sit before you this day we thank you for all your tender mercies your loving kindness and your grace which is given to us every day renewed and refreshed you've given us a brand new day that we can serve you you've given us life and eternal life in and through your son yeshua our messiah we just want to give you glory and honor and praise for this day Almighty Father, we lift up those, Almighty God, who could not join us today because of illness or work or other family commitments. May your presence be with them, enriching them, blessing them, and touching them. Almighty Father, blessed be the name of the Lord. Today, we're going to be starting Acts of Yeshua's Emissaries, Shalakim chapter 18. And this is part one. This has been a wonderful journey that we've been on so far. As we see the, uh, the Apostle Paul Rav Shaul, who's going about and he's raising up other men and women to continue the work because he knows that sometime in the future, just as we should take this in consideration, God desires us to have people in our lives that we speak into their lives and equip them and give them a demonstration of how to live a godly life. And through our example, though we're not perfect, none of us are perfect. God still uses these broken vessels that he's completely restored and healed. And he pours out his Ruach. And know this, that though we be broken vessels that the Lord has restored, that He's he has called us holy, he separated us, and he's called us holy, and he's poured his spirit Into us, and not only that, he's transforming our character daily so that we can have the character of Messiah. And this is a transformation process. And as so, as we look at the life of Rashaul and all these other people that we're going to be introduced to today, we see that God receives them right where they are imperfect, growing, and having a portion of God's word, but not having the full revelation of it. And so this is an onward journey that we have. And what a beautiful journey that God has allowed us to walk therein upon this earth as we mature as believers, and as we, as we make a Talmudim, as we make other disciples, as we spurn one another to good living, to live a godly life. And so now let us turn to the book of Acts, Chapter 18, in the beginning in verse 1. And it says this, And after this, Shaul, Paul, or Saul, left Athens, and he went on to Corinth. If you happen to have your calendar there handy with you, not your calendar, but your map, I misspoke there. And it's beautiful about having these maps in our Bibles. Find the place where uh, Athens is. And you'll notice Athens is in present day, uh, Greece, which at that time it was a province of acacia. Okay. Now you'll find that on your maps. And then now, uh, as you look at your map, I'm going to hold mine up here really quick. So you can see the one that I'm using today and it's sufficient that you use any type of maps that the Lord is, has provided uh, for you. And this is, a uh, Rab Rob Shaul's second missionary journey. He's almost to the completion of that journey, and he's going to be heading on his way in the near future back to Jerusalem. So he can give a report. He'll be going uh, to Antioch later. And so he's in the process of raising up these congregations. And if you notice that between Athens and Corinth, it's approximately 50 to 70 miles, all right? He could have either sailed there, but you can see there's a small body of water there, but it says that he simply traveled. And so that would either be by foot or by, uh, by, by carts or, 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 or small uh, type of apparatus that he'd be tra- traveling by. And so he, did, he wasn't able to take a plane or a helicopter or an air balloon and travel, but that was the mode of travel in that day was either by foot by sailing on ship, or by going on a cart that was usually drawn by an animal of some sort. And so let us continue with the scripture. After this, Shaul left Athens, and he went on to Corinth. And all of us realize this, there are two books that are written to the congregation in Corinth. And so Rav Sha'ul's in the in the process of establishing these brand new works within these, this city goes on to say in verse number two, where he met a Jewish man named Aquila, originally from Pontus, and I'll have you look on your maps later to find the city of Pontus, but let's continue with the scripture. But having recently come with his wife Priscilla, from where? From Italy. If you would look now in your maps, they are now currently in Corinth. But now if you look at your map and you would find the country of Italy, it doesn't tell us where in Italy that they were. And I, I did some research here earlier. So Italy is approximately around over 2,000 miles from the city of Corinth. Okay. And so a good day's travel during the first century would be three to five And and a long day of travel for one day would be 10 miles, unless you were traveling by ship. You could proceed so much quickly. So think about the journey that both uh, Aquila and Priscilla had embarked on going from the country of Italy all the way here to Athens. Okay, And these people have never met one another before. So this is a divine encounter, an orchestration of Elohim, God the Father, for these people to meet. So let us go forward here in verse number three. Where he, that's Rob Shul, met a Jewish man named Aquila, originally from Pontus, but having recently come with his wife Priscilla from Italy. Why did they leave Italy? The second part of the verse, chapter Uh, Verse number two tells us why. Because Claudius, now who is Claudius? He's the emperor of Rome, had issued a decree expelling all Jews from where? From Rome. Okay. And so this is something that he decided to do at that time, this Roman emperor. And you see, Adonai knew that Claudius was going to do this. He knew the direction that Priscilla and Aquila were going to be traveling. And he knew that this divine encounter between Rav Shaul and between uh, Aquila and Priscilla was ordained. Think of the time when Yeshua was to be born in Bethlehem. Where was his, his parents living at the time? Up in Galilee. But what did the word of prophecy say? Stated this, that the Messiah was supposed to be born in what city? Bethlehem. Bethlehem, the city of bread. And so there was a decree at that, a census was, was put out, for the people who had been born, the men, they would go to their ancestral home, all right? Now that was of great significance. So is this time here where Claudius has now uh, expelled the Jewish people from the city of Rome, from from Rome. And God is using this situation for a divine encounter. Let's go forward now. So because Claudius had issued a decree expelling all Jews from Rome, and so now Saul went to see them. Now, are we given the information, the background information, that uh, that uh, the Apostle Paul, Rav Shaul, received a vision? Or the Spirit just said, hey, go walk down this street, and there you're going to meet a man named Aquila and a woman named Priscilla? See, all those details are not given to us at this point. Okay, let's move forward. And because he had the same trade as they they making tents, all right? I picture this in my mind, and I have a creative mind, okay? And so possibly, Rav Shul as being led by the Spirit, and he's walking through the marketplace. So what was their means, Priscilla and Aquila, of providing for themselves? They were tent makers. You see, when Aquila was a young boy, he went to synagogue. He learned about the Tanakh and the Torah. But what was their family trade? Tent making. And some have supposed tallit making. Okay. Well, tallits sell very, very well where there's a a Jewish community. But if you're in the diaspora, uh, you have to be uh, flexible. And so they had the ability to either make tallits or they had the, the ability to make tents. And to, to do very very good commerce and to do trade and to ride for yourselves? If you if you were a tent maker, that was a very, very good occupation. Why? Because a lot of people they traveled during that time. Merchants were constantly traveling. Sometimes they slept in their wagons, and sometimes they would have to pitch their tents up. And if you notice many times over wagons, there were covered wagons. Well, we that canvas that tent making uh, material come from and how about the bedouins and all the other people that were traveling how about the military okay they needed tents for their for their troops to, to sleep in and so um, you know just in my creative mind i could see rob Shaw walking through the marketplace of corinth and he notices the this couple here and he know he knows it aquila because what would aquila be wearing but Zitzi on his, on his outer gar- garments. And Rav probably walked to them and started admiring and looking at their stitch work. You know what? This was uh, like like they're speaking language to one another. Because they, they, they had this bold trade that they shared with one another. And think of the conversation. Well, where are you from? Well, we just came from Italy. Do you know why we came from Italy Rav Shul? because Claudius he expelled all of us Jews and you see the scripture doesn't give us all these details but you know God gives us creative minds so that we can have a feeling and the sense of what's going on because all of a sudden uh, Shul is not being translated and all of a sudden he's right right in front of them and then and then they start up a conversation but this is gradual so let's go forward here in the scripture for what the scripture says the most Important, but not my conjecture or or, or or my creative mind. So let's go forward here. And because he had the same tra- trade as they, making tents, he stayed with them. Okay? They, bre- they broke bread together. And can you see Rav Shaul, after meeting a Jewish couple, uh, sharing his transformation that the Lord has done in his life through Yeshua? I can't see him being able to, to hold back his words. But you know, he's patient. He's listening to their story. He's he's learning about them. Okay? Because they had this trade. They had this in common. This was another bridge that was here that uh that Rav Shaul was building. And we know this in scripture that as he traveled, he was usually sent out with uh a small money bag for support for a time, but eventually that would run out. Then what was he to do? Was he to go to the local telegraph uh, uh, station and telegraph uh, a, uh, a request from the Jerusalem uh, congregation or the one in Antioch? No, he did not have that availability. So he had to work with his own hands so that he can continue to do what? Proclaim the good news. Rav Sha'ul was bivocational. He received a small amount of support when money was given towards him, but over 90% of his support came by his own hands. He did not want to owe anyone anything. He wanted to have the freedom to go and be led by the Spirit of the living God by being bivocational, and proclaiming and building God's kingdom. So let's go forward here. And so they worked together. They decided, you know, for this time being, they were going to enter into business. They're partnering with one another. And possibly, uh, Rav Shul had a certain type of uh, stitching patterns. And I know that you who are seamstress out there, or you who may have uh, tailors, and you know in the Jewish community, how many men... You know, that came from the old country to United States or even came to Europe. All right, they were tailors. And the and, and the tailor um, the, the industry in America was was predominantly uh, uh, led and established by, by Jewish people. If you look at the American history and you and you and you look at, at, at the industry, the mercantile industry. Jewish people have been involved with it from the first century prior to that, even up to this day. Think of one product out there that a lot of us wear. It's called what? Levi's, Levi Strauss. All right. We, you see how how that all came together. And you know what, Levi Strauss, what what they uh, what they were making? They were making what? They were making canvas tents for these uh, 49ers that went out to California. To, during the gold rush. And what did they decide to do? Because the, the, the pockets, as these, as these miners would put the gold in their pockets, what would happen? The gold would kind of burrow holes through it. So what did they decide to do? They, they came up with an idea. Levi Strauss family came up with an idea of, hey, let's take these canvas uh, material that we make tents, and let's let's make pants for men. And what did they put in there? They put rivets to make even the the, the pockets even stronger. And so we see here how um, industry and finding common ground and building bridges that Rob Shaul was using, everything available to him so he could equip and, and draw people closer to the good news. So here they work together. Let's now move on to verse number four. Saul also began carrying on dis- discussions every Shabbat, where? In the synagogue. Well, why wasn't he going to the to the uh, churches, Rabbi Frank? Because there were no churches. Where is the Word of God being housed? In local synagogues. That is where the Tanakh, the Word of God, the revelation of who God is, and where was the most fertile place that Rav Shoul could go to proclaim the good news, the full revelation of who God is through his salvation through his son Yeshua, but the synagogue, where he found what? Jewish people who knew the Tanakh that were waiting for whom? For the Messiah to come. And who was also part of that, that group, but the God-fearers, Gentiles who came to a knowledge of the one true God and began worshiping him. So here was a fertile place. The most fertile place to proclaim the good news was at the local synagogues. So let's go forward here. Verse 4. So Shaul also began carrying on discussions every Shabbat in the synagogue, where he tried to convince what? Both Jews and Greeks— now, these Greeks were God-fearers, all right? And you know what? When, when a, a group gathers together, and Judaism was changing the pagan world at that time, because there were uh, people from the pagan nations, from Greeks and Italians, Romans, they were coming to what? A saving knowledge of the one true God through Yeshua. And so this was a stepping stone, because all these pagan gods were failing them. And you know what? God had placed, even in the hearts of the, of the Gentiles, a desire to know God for who he is. So let's go forward here. But now, after Sila and Timothy arrived from where? Macedonia. Take a quick look at your maps. Find Macedonia. Macedonia. Once you find that place, you can see that that's an area, the region. Because in the prior scripture, Rav Shul left both uh, Sila and Timothy to stay in that area there. Because you know what? Rav Shul was kind of like the spearhead. He was the one that was kind of confronting the Jewish community and the God-fearers. And, you know, he would cause uh, disturbance because he was call- stretching them and he was giving them brand new revelation. And so when the spearhead was removed, those that were part of the spear, the shaft, which was Sila and Timothy, they were then left behind to do what? Make the disciples. To help establish whether that synagogue became messianic or not or where they would be meeting in local homes of God-fearers or Jewish people who came to a saving knowledge and putting their trust in Yeshua. See, this wasn't just simply an evangelistic campaign, but there was opportunities now to raise up leadership. This Silas and this Timothy, because one day Rav Sheol was going to be taken out of that scene. He's now deemed to be a much older man. And so he's now raising up this next generation that have, have a firm foundation, understanding the Tanakh and living out the Torah according to Yeshua's revelation of Torah. And so this is being established. And that's why they were made. And Rav Shul went on to Athens by himself. Remember, he sent his bodyguard back as in chapter 17 speaks. And so now Sila and Timothy are now arriving from Macedonia. Verse number five goes on to say this. Shaul felt pressed by urgency of the message, and he testified in depth to the Jews that Yeshua is the Messiah. See, not only is is he opening up the Tanakh in the synagogue there, and opening up their eyes, and getting into the midrash of debate, but also he's giving his personal testimony of how he came to be a follower of the way. And he would testify this, I was once a former persecutor to those who followed after the way until the day when I was on the way to Damascus. And it was daytime, and there was a a great light that came from heaven, the Shekinah, the Shekinah glory. And Yeshua spoke to him. And so now it shares us that now he gives testimony as how he's been transformed and how Adonai has removed the veil from his eyes and how the Ruach HaKodesh is confirming through signs and wonders and through God's word, the firm foundation, found only in the Tanakh. Because remember this, Matthew through Revelation has not even been written yet. It's it's being lived out. So let's go forward here. So Sha- Shaul felt, this is verse number five, he felt pressed by urgency of the message and testified in depth to the Jews that Yeshua is the Messiah. Think about line upon line, precept upon precept, taking all what the prophets had spoken about and laying it out before them and saying this to them, consider what the Tanakh says. Going forward here in verse number six. However, when he set When they set themselves against him, and who are they? These are the Jews that were in the synagogue, all right? And they began doing what? Hurling insults. They could not debate with him over the Tanakh, but they started to do what? Do personal attacks against him, okay? He shook out his clothes. Now, this is what he does. He shook out his clothes, and he said to them, Your blood be on your own heads. For my part, I'm clean. From now on, I go to the Gentiles. Now, you know what? Those that preach and teach that God has forsaken the Jewish people and and believe in replacement theology, they point to this verse right here. And they say this, see, not only did God reject the Jewish people, but also Rav Shaul, the apostle Paul rejected them. But they don't understand what he's even talking about. He He is proclaiming what the prophet Ezekiel said. God spoke through Ezekiel and said, I call you to warn my people that they have forsaken me. They need now to come back. So this is truly an invitation, because Rav Shul was what? He was like a watchman upon the wall. He sees what, what the Jewish people need is to embrace their Messiah. And so he's giving testimony from the Tanakh and so now he's calling them on the carpet. He's getting their attention to the point where he says, Now your blood is now on your own heads and not on mine. Because a true prophet of God, if he does not warn God's people about what's coming about, then their death, their blood is required of him. And so he says, I'm now clean. I've now proclaimed the good news to you from the Tanakh about Messiah. Now you must choose for yourselves. Let's go forward here. I must read this again. Verse 6, However, when they set themselves against him, and those were the Jews in the synagogue that did not receive the revelation of Yeshua as being the Messiah, set themselves against him, they began hurling insults. It became personal. They began attacking him personally. And he shook out his clothes and said to them, your blood be on your own heads. For my part, I am clean. From now on, I will go to the Gentiles. So let's now hear the second verse. And this is what, where the replacement, uh, those who teach replacement theology and those that teach that God has abandoned Israel and that the church has taken Israel's place, they don't read number, number verse number seven. So what does he do next? So he left them, and he went to a home of a God-fearer, okay? He's now trying to stir them to jealousy. Why? Because he's now going into a home of a God-fearer, a person that lived a kosher life, all right, a God-fearer. And he gives his name. His name is what? Titus Justice, whose house was next to the synagogue. So is he, so is Rav Shaul forsaking his people? Absolutely not. He moves in next door. And you know what? Where does this God-fearer worship? In the synagogue next door. So where is Rav Shaul going to be next Shabbat? He'll be there. And also this God-fearer will go there. And where's the only place to worship? The synagogue. So let's go forward here in verse Number eight, Crispus, the president of that synagogue, the synagogue, came to trust in the Lord Yeshua. And not only this, along with his whole household. And also, many of the Corinthians who heard and trusted were immersed. Okay? So think of this he gives his testimony. And Crispus, who's taking all this information in, and he's seen Rav Shaul demonstrate to them into the Tanakh, prove to them that Yeshua is the Messiah. And then when Rav Shaul turns, because then they begin starting to insult them, him. Then he says to them, "Your blood be upon your own head. I'm clean." Think about the conviction that came upon Crispus own heart and he sees it literally uh, rosh is calling him out and says you know what if you don't receive this revelation from god your blood is on your own head and don't think about this a little bit more in depth not only his own head but also his wife and his children his grandchildren And also everyone within that local synagogue. Can you imagine that? The day that they see Christmas, acknowledging Yeshua as the Messiah. I mean, this is the president of the synagogue. And not only he, but also his wife and his children all become immersed. And you know, Who's doing the immersing? Shaul. So has he forsaken his Jewish people? Absolutely not. See, if you simply read through the scripture and you do not dig and investigate, these things are missed. But they're there. So going forward here, I got to read verse 8 again. Christus, the president of the synagogue. There's one synagogue in Corinth going forward here. He came to trust in the Lord Yeshua along with his whole household. Also, many of the Corinthians who had heard and trusted were immersed. The God-fearers are being immersed and coming to a saving knowledge of who Messiah Yeshua is. Verse 9, one night in a vision, the Lord said to Sha'ul, don't be afraid, but speak right up and don't stop. When we're being attacked, and notice this, Rav Sha'ul is being attacked by his own community, the Jewish community, which he never forsook. They're giving him personal insults. Think of the time when he was locked into stocks and his back was opened up. And Silas is right next to him. Barnabas is, is facing these things too. He's had persecution upon persecution upon persecution. But the Spirit of living God is saying to him, stop right now. And here is a prophetic word to him for him to remain, to stand tall. I have to read that verse again. One night in a vision, the Lord said to Shaul, don't be afraid. But speak right up, and don't stop. Verse 10, because what? I'm with you. Do you need anyone else? When the Lord says, I'm with you? Are you kidding me? When God's telling you to do something, he says, I'm with you? He's giving, he's building up Rav Shaul's faith. Let's go forward. Verse 10, because I'm with you, and no one will succeed in harming you. Did you hear that? That's a promise for this time in Rav Shaul that no one will be successful in harming you. Because what did they done in the past? They sent him on because he was a spearhead. They sent him on. They lowered him down in a basket at one occasion. And he moved on. But now, Yeshua is saying, you stand. You stand firm. You don't move to the left. You don't move to the right. You stay right here and know this. I'm with you, and I will make it so no one's going to harm you. They may insult you, but no one's going to harm you. Let's go forward here. Verse 10. Because I'm with you, and no one will succeed in harming you. For I have many people in this city. So what does it say here? Verse 11, so Shaul will there for what? A year and a half on his first journey. Where is it recorded that he stayed in one place for a year and a half? This is the second journey. Yeshua is saying, Rav Shaul, in modern terminology, I got your back. And what did he do for that year and a half? Teaching them the word of God, Torah. And how to properly interpret Torah through Yeshua's life. And Rav saying, will say, follow my example. Going forward in verse number 12. But one Galileo, we're introduced to another person here. Became the Roman governor of Acacia. Remember your maps? If you take a look at your maps here, you'll find that Acacia, what are the cities that are in the Acacia area? But Athens and Corinth are two of the main cities. Okay, so he comes to be the governor of this area, the Roman governor of Acacia. The unbelieving Jews, it says. Now, who are the unbelieving Jews? Does that say they don't believe that 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 uh, in the Torah? No. They are unbelieving in the revelation of who Yeshua is as the Messiah. All right? So these unbelieving uh, Jews made a concern attack on whom? On Sha'ul. And so they're threatening him. And What does the scripture say? And they took him to court. Now, Now, are are, are they bringing him before a form of the Sanhedrin that's in Corinth? No, because that was not there. There was just a major synagogue in Corinth. So they're bringing him to the secular courts. Why? Because they're going to make an accusation against him that he's breaking secular laws, it appears. So let's see what the scripture says. Verse 13, saying this man is trying to persuade people to worship God in ways that violate Torah. So there, that was their charge in the secular court, okay? Sha'ul was now about to open his mouth, okay? He's ready to defend himself, just as he did prior. Remember, he was brought before secular courts before, but before now he can even speak. What happens when Galileo said to the Jews, and I must underline this, he's saying to those unbelieving Jews who have brought Rav Shul'ul to court. Listen, Galileo says, listen, you Jews, if this were a case of inflicted injury or a serious crime, I could reasonably be expected to hear you out patiently. But since it involves questions about words and names of your own law, then you must deal with it yourselves. I flatly refuse to judge such matters. And he had them what? Ejected from the court. Okay. That accusation, That lawsuit was thrown out of the secular courts. And I have to tell you this. This guy was a Roman governor, and they weren't uh, simply the bailiff walked up to them and then then gently removed them. No, he would have Roman soldiers grab those unbelieving Jews and drag them along with Rav Sha'ul, outside the court's premises. That's what's taking place here. Because Galil was like this, you're wasting your time. I believe he's really, really irritated. Okay? So he's made his judgment. Roman governors and Roman rulers, they didn't use tact. They weren't kind and gentle. They were forceful. Because their word meant law and they were basically tyrants. All they cared about was themselves and their reputation because anything that they said or did that was not forceful and strongly done, it would eventually get back to Rome. And the emperor would, was constantly uh, appointing and removing governors. In a snap of a finger, of a heartbeat. Things were always changing. So going forward here, verse 17, and it says this, they all grabbed Sosthenes. Now, who is Sosthenes? The president of what? The synagogue. There's only one synagogue. So it appears that Crispus, since he now became a Messianic Jew, he has been removed from his office as president over that synagogue. And we're introduced now to another president of that synagogue, because most synagogues don't have multiple presidents. They have one president, okay? One chief elder, all right? So going forward here, they all grabbed Sosthenes, the president of the synagogue, and gave him a beating in full view of the bench. Now, who's doing this? We don't know. If it's the uh, Jewish elders that came with him, they're angry because, you know what, he probably was the one that said, well, let's bring this to to the secular court and have the secular, because we can't argue with Rav Shaul. We simply have to insult him, all right? So here's a way that we can get back at him, all right? But what did Yeshua promise him? No one's going to be able to harm you going forward here. So they, they took him and they beat him in full view of the bench. And it might be these uh, Greek or Roman soldiers that are be- doing the beating of this leader. But goes on to say in verse 17, but Galileo showed no concern whatsoever. Well, it's their business. They brought this upon themselves. I could care less. I washed my hands of this whole situation. You see, Galileo was all about himself. Verse 18, shall all remain for what? For some time. Then he said goodbye to the brothers and sailed off now to Syria. And so right there, we're going to go ahead and end today's message.